Welcome to the Words of Grace podcast, where we discuss faith journeys, fellowship and stories from across the Diocese of Sheffield. Each week we will feature guests from a broad range of backgrounds and traditions within the Church of England. Our mission is to delve deeper into matters of faith and to ask each guest what has drawn them to Christianity. I'm Paul Sheridan and I'm here with my colleague and co-host Ben Fern. Good to see you again, Paul. Are you okay? Yeah, a bit of a cold, a bit of a croaky, a deeper voice than normal probably today. But I'm sitting further away from you. You are, me? yes, yes. I'm in a has suit and um, you know slightly divorced from everybody else. But other than that, good. The weather has improved dramatically. We're not giving away when we're recording this, but the weekend was very wet and Hillsborough Park is very muddy. So that might give you an idea of when this was. Indeed, it's been ongoing, never-ending sort of. Uh, not what we had last year when we hit in forty degrees. I know. Yeah. And um, the fires are burning across Europe. Anyway, there we are, in more ways than one, probably. Before we start, I'd, I'd just like to mention our uh, email address, which is wordsofgrace at sheffield.anglican.org. The, the ending of that is the normal um, diocese uh, ending. And uh, if people out there want to send us in comments, um, constructive criticism, I've had a bit from my family, A4 sheet. Ben and I shared that over a cup of coffee, um, but a bit of constructive criticism or some ideas for guests or questions or even um, some how much you've enjoyed it. That would be a great email to get, but wordsofgrace at sheffield.anglican.org. Please do get in touch. We'd really welcome that, and we can keep people's names anonymous as well if they just uh, flag that up. We can. Yeah, but if some people say nice things, we will read them out. Of course. Absolutely, yeah. So let's let's uh, introduce our guest, Ben. Yep. Delighted to have Sally Myers with us. So Reverend Dr. Sally Myers is our Director of Focal Ministry for the Diocese of Sheffield. Her role combines her passions for growing faith and spirituality through lifelong learning and practice and liberating people to flourish in their vocations. She's thoroughly enjoying meeting all sorts of different people across the whole diocese, talking to them about what God is calling them to do in their particular place and trying to help that happen. Born and brought up in an ex-mining area on the Nottinghamshire Derbyshire border, she ran her own business there for many years before being ordained in 2006. Apart from spells as a lay hospital and then mental health chaplain before ordination, most of her ministry has been spent in theological education and ministry, ministry formation. She was principal of the Lincoln School of Theology before spending lockdown in Cambridge and joining the diocese in 2021. In her spare time, she tries to write and sometimes manages it. She's a senior visiting research fellow at Bishop Grossetest University and occasionally lectures there on atheism. Renovating her bungalow and garden and adventures in a camper van sometimes happen too. Sally, welcome. Thank you. That, that's a, an extraordinary bio. Uh, that, there's, there's a lot going on there which we need to unpack. Well, I'm, I've been around for a while, so I have, oh, but, I have, no, but no. I have managed to pack quite a bit in. Yes, yes. Yeah, fantastic. So where do you want to start, Ben? I think you mentioned there about lecturing on atheism, and I yes. do remember uh, my induction here. We met with many people across the diocese, including yourself, um, me and my colleague. And that's one of the things that struck me, that you were very much a strong atheist. So I'd quite like to start there, if that's okay. <laughs> yeah, I do I do sometimes introduce myself as a failed atheist, um, and, I, and, and I definitely am, actually. Uh, I wasn't born into a particularly Christian family. Um, I did try Sunday school for a few weeks, but um, didn't enjoy it very much. And so um, I, I was not required to go again. Um, and I've always been quite a bit of a rebel 
really, um, in terms of anything institutional um, and in terms of anybody kind of telling me what to do. So the church wasn't a natural thing that I was drawn to. Welcome to the Church of England. That's extraordinary. <laughs> let's, let's put yeah. that one out there. Yeah, well, um, now that I do believe in God, um, there, are, there are many things that I question, but God's sense of humour is not one of them, that is for sure. Um, and yeah, I feel like I'm in the right place there. So that atheism, that's not just a sort of, I don't go to church, that's very much a rejection of theology. How long did you sort of have that position for? Um, well, from as long as I could remember to the age of 28. Um, and I was, I was a really good atheist. Um, I was really well informed. Uh, I did politics and philosophy at university first degree, really interested in psychology and continue to be. Um, and to be honest, religion does not come out well when you kind of bring it into dialogue with those things. Uh, so basically, I, I had this view of religion um, from meeting a few people who were perhaps just a tiny bit hypocritical. Um, so hypocritical, but also the main function seemed to be to me to frighten people into being well behaved. And I'm, I'm still not really easily well behaved. So, Did you have those conversations then? Did people of faith try and debate with you and you sort of gave those rebuttals? Um, yes, um, I've forgotten about that actually. There are a couple of people, um, particularly at university, who did try and convert me. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely curious and, and like to learn about things. So I did, I did give it a good go. I read the Bible um, for, for a bit and tried to kind of, you know, get what they were saying to me. But it, it, didn't, it didn't really penetrate the kind of... Um, the, the feminism or or the liberation kind of uh, ideas that that I had, so no, it didn't. That that didn't cut it at all. So, what did sort of make that change for you? Was it one moment? Was it a gradual journey? Um, I, I'm. I, it was one moment. Yeah, I I did go from being one being an atheist to being a failed atheist. Um, it was. I can't. I can't remember the exact. Yeah, I was 28, so I could probably work it out. I won't do that. I won't do that on air. Um, but uh, it was a Wednesday afternoon in summer. Uh, I was in business, uh, which was not always easy for a working class girl um, in the area that I was in business. I'd had a hard couple of weeks, um, feeling a bit sorry for myself, I think, actually. Anyway, I was sitting there thinking, is this all there is to life? You know, what, what on earth is this all about? Um, and I remember... It, um, shall I tell you this? Yes, I'm going to tell you this. It was the, it was, uh, um, I went into the ladies' loo um, and I knelt, which was very, you know, very out of character. Um, she said to God out loud, I don't believe in you, but if you are there, I'd quite like to get to know you. Um, and I had what I now know to be a religious experience. Didn't know it at the time, you didn't really know what was happening. Um, but there was this just overwhelming sense of love and peace um, and goodness that persuaded me that there was a God. Um, and that continues to be my defining moment and my kind of litmus test as to whether anything is of God or not. That's extraordinary. So quite clear earlier when you said the atheism was an anti-religion moment. Yes. Was there was there a moment where you thought I'm not I'm anti-religion. I'm not necessarily anti the idea of a god. Because an atheist for me would tend to be there's nothing. 
you know, whereas an agnostic, well, my parents were agnostics, as we don't know. But when you say there was a feeling of God, did that transfer then into Christianity or was that just of a something that had changed in your life? I was definitely an atheist. I was anti-religion. Um, and I thought that the God that I had been told about... Which was a Christian God. Well, yes, at that, at that stage. I've, I've kind of done a little bit of digging into other faiths since. But at that stage, the God, the God of the culture in which I was um, immersed and, and born into, um, I thought was made up to control people basically um, and I was anti anti that um, so not not just kind of oh I'm open to suggestion um, but you know this is this is just not right so when you had this experience of a of, of love and and care and perhaps grace perhaps we would say that was that a, you realized that there was a God was that then straight into a church moment or did you have to sort of work out that where you were because I suspect you're quite a thinker about things so how does that work from that point yeah I've got this I've got this mug on my shelf in my office at home that says hold on a minute while I overthink this (laughs) absolutely right absolutely right um no I was overwhelmed by by just a feeling of oneness and goodness um and I thought oh crikey afterwards that was nice I mean it didn't last that long you know it lasted it lasted sufficiently long for it to be completely embedded um, in me but not that long and afterwards I thought oh crikey what was that you know I can't explain any of this um, uh, with my my politics or philosophy or psychology I've got to have got to learn about this um, now I have to be honest and say if I'd been if I'd had that experience in a different culture or a different um, part of the world um i w- what happened was i went to the nearest church you know the nearest institution that could tell me about god had it helped had it happened somewhere else then i would have gone to the nearest institution that could tell me about god because it wasn't a particularly christian experience i've learned over the years to interpret it though through those lenses um but that wasn't you know that wasn't there wasn't a kind of this is christian rainbow or anything like that um so what happened was i went immediately i mean this was quite a powerful thing that happened so i drove home from the factory where i where i um um, ran a business and went to my local church um and walked around and sat i remember i remember this i sat by the gates um by the doors and the doors were shut and i didn't want the doors to be shut I wanted to be able to get into them, but I accepted that that was it, the doors were shut. Um, walked home, and I still, I, we're talking about it now, I still remember it quite vividly. The world was more colourful than I remembered it. Something had changed. And I, I walked home, and this woman that I would normally cross the road to avoid uh, was there, and, and I couldn't help but go out of my way to be kind to her. You know, and, and I, w- I was not that sort of person. <laughs> so, um, yeah, something had changed. Can I ask as well, Sally, obviously with such a defining moment like that, it can change relationships as well. Did you have instances of people of faith who you came to and said, I am now a person of faith? And similarly, were the atheist friends who you said, actually, I've, I've changed my perspective now? Um, it wasn't. It wasn't as sudden as that. I think I was a little bit more cautious. I didn't. Um, I start. I. I went back to that church the Sunday afterwards, and it, the doors were open, and I went in. And I remember sobbing my socks off for a, at least ten minutes um, because I felt like some kind of homecoming. Um, 
but I didn't understand any of it. I did not. I did not understand what had happened to me, um, and so it was a while. A, a while later, obviously, the sort of person that I am. I am. Um, I kind of tried to find out everything I could, um, and there was a, there was a while where I just believed everything that anybody told me about faith. You know, I, I realised I knew nothing, and all of these people in church knew knew more than me. Um, and it was probably it was a probably a couple of years of kind of sifting the information that I was given. Um, I at some stage, can't remember now, must have said, right, I'm now a Christian because I became confirmed uh, within the year. I was I was convinced that, you know, this was this was a path that I was being called down um, and I was confirmed. But I I never really lost my questioning attitude towards all things institutional. So there's 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 a battle really that continues to this day between my spirituality and what I experience of God and um, what we, because I am now a Christian, <laughs> obviously, uh, uh, not only a Christian, but clergy, um, and what, but what we interpret that as and what we say about it. So it wasn't a case of thinking, right, I've got to change all of my ideals and my approach to things. It was, I've come to faith, I'm a Christian, but I still have these questioning, in, you know, um, mindful aspects. Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose I think there were probably a few months where I was just kind of completely obedient to what anybody ever told me. Um, but I, I kind of sort of realised that perhaps everybody doesn't really know. Um, and although I, I mean, over the years I've studied theology, goodness me, and and, and thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and there's a, there are some really kind of coherent arguments for faith and historic evidence and all sorts of different things. Um, but that's that's never been what's persuaded me, that I always go back to my experience. And what I do is say, well, what, what I'm learning about faith, what people have written about faith, does that resonate with that experience? Um, and sometimes it does. Often, often it does. But where it doesn't, um, then I'm very slow to accept that as being of God. So the church that you rocked up at? <laughs> yes, St. Peter's Orsworth, yes. Right, oh, so Anglican? Anglican, yes. Um, evangelical, conservative, just or just a village C of E? That's um, not derogatory, I don't mean that in a way, no, but just what it is. Yeah, I mean, I, I love middle-of-the-road Anglicanism, especially in villages. I mean, it was an ex-mining village, so it's not pretty green and all of that sort of stuff. Um, but the church that is at the heart of a community is something to be absolutely celebrated, part of what's drawn me um, to my job. But yes, it was the um, the village, in inverted commas, um, church, middle-of-the-road, but led by some strong evangelical voices. So the faith that I was introduced to um, was was really quite conservative evangelical to start off with. Yes, yeah, and it, it's it's an interesting moment, isn't it, that you've you've taken that questioning attitude and carried it through that everything you do, because from the outside looking in, we'd see you working in the diocese, um, lecturing on theology. You would see that as a very traditional conservative, not conservative, but Christian moment. But within that, you've always questioned things. You've always pushed back at stuff and, and wanted to know why. 
that is happening rather than that's because what God has done. And it's interesting, isn't it, going back to the politics and the atheism, I find resonates with me a little bit in that I came from a political background to find faith. And it was the things that man had put on that I always struggle with, not God so much. And I've always gone back to, does God love me? Yes. The rest is up for grabs, really. But I know that, even when we put stuff around the institution. But how do you find that week in, week out? I mean, it's not some. It's not something um, that I decide to do. Um, I, I can't help my personality. I've always asked questions. Um, and I've always, always um, asked why things are the way they are and, and, and what's the motivation behind it. I think that comes down, um, comes back to, Studying sociology, actually, is one of my A-levels. Um, I was taught that it was okay to ask really critical questions. Um, and in some ways, I've almost made a career of it in, in, in my kind of um, other side, other side of, of, of my life. Um, what, I, what I used to say to um, ordinands and readers and others who were beginning a course of theology with me when I, when I went, during that phase of my life, when I headed up theological training... Um, I always used to say God won't break and I used to hold a Bible up to them and say and the Bible won't break it doesn't matter how many difficult questions you ask and believe me I have asked a lot at the end of the day this is solid but don't be afraid to ask questions about it because that stops people using it as a weapon to oppress others I guess that's where I'm coming from I think it's a really interesting point and one of my good friends is a minister and he I mem- I'll never forget he said to me the day I stop asking questions is the day I stop being a Christian and I think it is that aspect isn't it of you know there can be that mentality in some quarters where you think don't question it just go with it but actually being inquisitive rather than thinking oh no that's going to put people off lead them away from faith actually you've shown it can lead people to faith yeah I mean if you kind of if you don't ask questions that's kind of there's something kind of wrong with your faith um and it, i uh, yeah seriously i mean you've helped me think about it thank you i might go and write something down about it later um but actually the the more it's a bit like an athlete or something you know the more you run you kind of break the muscles but then they become stronger again um and i and i guess i guess it's down to it is down to my experience of of, of my walk with god because at the worst moments, I know that God's been there. You know, um, you mentioned about the chaplaincy work that I did as a lay chaplain before I was ordained. Um, and some of the most really difficult conversations that I had with people, um, there was there was the re- almost tangible presence of the holy in those moments. Um, so that that has always come back and strengthened you know and i've got a little bit fed up with um with not just christianity um but but world religion's views about women for example um and and thought oh my goodness me can i really tolerate this um i've come back to that loving god that i know is there um and i don't you know and also i don't know all of the answers um so i'm actually quite happy sometimes to say okay I, I don't get this um i'll keep on exploring it but i'm happy to kind of live with not knowing um and i do that quite a lot actually 
it's worth mentioning as well, Sally, you mentioned there about um, women and exclusion. I remember, I think it was International Women's Day, you provided a really good list, and it was a long list of the women whose names aren't mentioned in the Bible. And I just thought that was really striking and actually provoked more questions. Thinking like, oh, yeah, why aren't they mentioned and why are they sort of excluded in that way? That's that's part of a of, of a really big conversation, <laughs> um, uh, and the, and the, and and obviously um, it was it was largely um, powerful men that wrote the Bible, um, and that's one of the difficulties with history, isn't it? Um, it's a fascinating subject, but what we know of history is what was what was recorded, and of course what we don't know is is what what hasn't been recorded. I mean, I found um, the kind of theology that says women shouldn't be ordained really quite helpful um, for quite a long time I spent 10 years saying you know ignoring a call to ordination part of which was saying yes but I'm a woman I can't possibly be ordained you know I mean I, it, it got me in the end um, but as you've probably picked up I, I, I am kicking and fighting a lot of the time. Yeah one of my sayings that my family get fed of me saying is history is written by the winners and we find that in the church quite often, you know, um, as well as, as in history of, you know, the Second World War is always written by winners, isn't it? it and then that's what's happened to us, really. To go back then, you were running a business in your 20s, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yes. It was madness, absolute madness. <laughs> what were you doing? Oh, gosh, I was... Um, I, I owned a factory that made hair accessories, um, but, <laughs> but let me let me go back. So when I when I left uni, um, I, I I wanted to change the world. Um, and you'd read politics and philosophy. politics, philosophy, and, and right. economics, but then then but then mostly philosophy. Um, and I wanted I wanted to get into politics. I did actually for a while, um, but I decided for my day job I would. To be, I wanted to be a journalist. Couldn't get a job as a journalist, so sold advertising for a Country Life magazine. Um, then I, I, I didn't like, I, I, I didn't like selling things, um, so I decided to swap to the other side of the counter and train to be a buyer. So I trained to be a buyer, um, and cut a long story short, got this fantastic job. I mean, ridiculously good job at the age of 22, where I was travelling to the Far East buying costume jewellery, um, and also Europe and all sorts of places. I was far too young to appreciate how very, very, very lucky I was, um, and. A couple of things happened. I did this. I did this for a couple of years, um, jetting up, jetting off, and being treated like royalty because obviously I was spending money. Um, one of the places that I went to was South Korea, and I remember visiting one of the factories there, and deciding actually this was something that I couldn't continue to do ethically. It was not. It was not something that I felt comfortable with. Um, and at the same time, true child of Thatcher, um, I, I was a bit of an entrepreneur as well. So at the, at the time, costume, jewellery and hair accessories went through a series of wholesalers um, before they hit the high street. And I did my sums and I worked out that I could make them cheaper than I was buying them for. Um, and so, I mean, really, really kind of um, in, in, in 90s style, set up a, um, a factory in my garden shed, literally, garage, don't exaggerate, Sally, garage, uh, and, had, and had three sewing machines in there. Um, and eventually, um, I, I employed 49 people 
at one stage. Um, 49 because all sorts of different rules and regulations came into play when there were 50, um, which I could, you know, I, I wanted to kind of not, not get into. Um, and selling to all sorts of high street people, Tesco's, Sainsbury's, um, Dorothy Perkins, which was big in the day, that sort of thing. Um, yeah. And um, what happened to that as you moved along? Did that just you just sell that on, or just leave that business? Ooh, or? Well, it was a rocky ride. I don't know if you um, remember um, those economic times or not. There, I, I was running at an engineering company. At Were the same you time. okay? Yes. Yes. So, um, so I I I I hit, I hit some highs and some lows, um, particularly when the interest rates went through the um, through the roof at the time. Because it was a mining place, I was given all sorts of grants and things that, uh, and um, without the experience to know what I was doing. Um, so we had we had a time when we did go into liquidation, and then there was a phoenix, um, and we we paid off the suppliers and went uh, went went back and did it again. Um, and it, it it trundled on for fourteen years actually. It was a, a, you know it was it was quite a quite a long time. Learned a lot in that stage. Bought up my son, um, got married and divorced in that time. Um, but the call to ordination just became too strong and I did try and hang on to absolutely everything and failed. Um, yeah, and, uh, but in the end, ordination won. Can we come to ordination now then, Sally? Yeah, Whereabouts sure. were you ordained? And um, just tell us a bit about that journey. Okay, so um, I was ordained in the Diocese of Lincoln um, both as deacon, which happened, that happened in the church that I was going to for curacy, which was um, a place called St Wolfram's in Grantham. Uh, absolutely fantastic place, really lovely. One of the greater churches, so you know, one of the one of the big churches. Had a fantastic training incumbent, uh, Chris, um, and spent a lovely two and a half years there. And I was um, ordained priest the year after, and that was at Lincoln Cathedral. And what was that experience like, given that, again, not trying to make assumptions too much, but for a lot of people who are ordained, perhaps have gone through the brought up in a Christian household, went to Christian union, that sort of thing. What was it like, you know, being ordained, having gone from an atheistic standpoint? Um, it well, is just such a huge privilege. Uh, it's, you know, kicking and screaming apart. Um uh, by that stage, I'd, I'd recognised that um, what was happening was was just an awesome, awesome privilege. Uh, and the place, it, it's like a liminal place being ordained. You know, you come you come out of it changed um, and different. I mean, still with the same characters, you know, still the same characters, still with the same personality traits. But there's something just very precious about it and when you come out the other side the world is more precious um, and where did you go to sort of serve afterwards what was the next step oh well after after my um part part way through my third year as a curate i was invited to apply for a job um i don't like that about the church i've come to really kind of not not like that about the church at all um what the application be applied for a job? Uh, yeah, so um, but at the time it, it happened, um, and I was invited to apply for the post of vice principal of uh, the Lincoln Ministry Training Scheme, 
as it then was. Um, and that, that, that just set the trajectory, really, of my whole ministry. Um, I spent you know, most of it in theological education, ministry formation. And so you did that for the next few years, came here, is that right, straight through theological training, that was your next role of thing, and then you, did you apply for the job here, or were you asked to apply? No, you, uh, no, 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 no that, that, that being asked to apply only happened the once. <laughs> oh, right, okay. Well, I don't know, you never know. Well, yeah, yeah, I think I'm too questioning, really. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think I'm, yeah, not, not an easy enough fit for things. Um, but, um, so I... I tried to work out how long it was that I was um, principal. I think it was principal for about eight years. Mm. Um, and the, and the, the, I kind of kept the same seat that I was invited into directly after curacy, but, but, but the role changed and grew around me. Um, so it was between 2008 and 2020 um, that, I, that I was there. Um, and then I... Well, the idea was I was going to take a short break, um, finish writing a book, and and so take a short sabbatical, um, and then look for a new adventure. But then COVID happened, uh, and so what happened was I found myself at the Wolf Institute, um, which is one of the colleges in Cambridge, not part of Cambridge University, but affiliated to it, which is an interfaith place that looks at faith and education across mainly the Abrahamic uh, traditions. So I went into um, a postdoctoral study room there and lived in Cambridge uh, until lockdown lifted, which was great um, because I, although I absolutely love people, I don't really like crowds very much, and Cambridge is a really crowded place. So I was quite happy to have it virtually to myself <laughs> for for a period about yeah about um, nine months, um, and then I started applying for jobs. Um, this wasn't the first job that I applied for. I was turned down for a few, and I and I was applying for jobs that were more or less a continuation of theological education, yet you know, quite ivory tower type stuff. Um, and to be, to be perfectly honest with you, I don't quite know how I found myself here. It, it I mean, I know I applied for the job, um, but it was one of those things, and, and I've had a few times in my life where this has happened with God, where you're kind of on a moving pavement and you get somewhere without actually seeming to have moved your legs, you know. Um, and it was a bit like that. And I thought, what on earth is this about, you know. Because um, I'm used to my ivory tower thing and people coming to talk to me and stuff. And all of a sudden I find myself all over the diocese in church halls and around people's kitchen tables and talking to people. And actually it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, because what I'm doing is actually earthing all of the stuff, all of the theory and, and, and things that I've been learning, I'm earthing that properly in the soils and the souls of the people of Sheffield Diocese, um, which is amazing. It's really encouraging to hear as well. And so your role as director of focal ministry, just for the purpose of listeners who might not be familiar with what a focal minister is, could you just briefly describe that sort of role? Of course. Um, well, as, as people as people will know, um, before the pandemic, the Diocese of Sheffield realised that along with the rest of the Church of England, there were um, falling numbers in the congregations, 
falling um, amount of money being given to Common Fund. And also at the same time, there were fewer and fewer people who were offering themselves for traditional style stipendary ministry. Um, because the diocese doesn't have the historic reserves that other dioceses can fall back on, it had to do something quickly. And so there were six different um, models of ministry discussed at the time, and the one that we're now inhabiting uh, is the one that was chosen. Um, I'm, uh, I, and that model um, was obviously approved or approved of by the church commissioners because they gave an enormous amount of money um, out of which my, my salary is paid and, and others. So what was agreed that was that we would move um, to, from the place that we were over a period of five years to a place where we got mission areas that were looked after by one or more oversight ministers. And we would hope and pray that focal ministers would be drawn out of local congregations and communities to be uh, the public face um, of the church in their area and um, a regular presence. So my job is to look after those people, to try and make sure that focal ministry is understood and happens, um, to sort out all of the processes, look after uh, the focal ministers, because the other side of my job is warden of focal ministry, and on put in place the, um, the equipping and education and encouragement and resources that they need in order to become the people of God that God is calling them to be. So that's, that's, that's my role. Um, sorry, you look like you're about to ask another question, Ben. No, I'll just, I can say it's, um, what's been great is to sort of, um, I've only scratched the surface myself, but I've met some of the focal ministers who've been authorised and there've been all sorts of different stories, all sorts of different backgrounds. And what was great as well was when, um, the Archbishop of York, Stephen Cottrell, paid his mission visit to the diocese and there was a focal minister evening event and it to sort of see that affirmed I think was really encouraging. Yeah it was I was so proud of them actually because yes it was lovely and affirming but they asked the difficult questions of him as well didn't they so yeah I was quite I was really quite. He said about bifocal ministers he coined that concept. I'm not sure that was helpful to be quite honest. <laughs> We're still trying to embed and get and get um, people to understand what focal ministry is. So I wouldn't want to get us too distracted on that. Although um, the principle behind what he was saying that we keep our eyes on God as well as our ministry is obviously really very sound. And that calling again, you know, people who've come to focal ministry or been authorised have felt that calling, haven't they, to that role? Yeah, absolutely. Um, do not do not. Um, um, doubt that, that the Holy Spirit is at work in this diocese um, all over the place God is calling people uh, into focal ministry I, it is absolutely amazing and like you say really wide range of different people uh, people who have been involved in the church for a long time in other leadership roles like church warden readers so, um, self-supporting ordained ministers but also new people um, are arriving and wanting to be involved as well. Yeah, we had uh, yeah we had Sally come to our church to talk about focal ministry, and we're we're going through that process itself. And and I'm I'm not sort of um, bigging you up, although I'm going to big you up. That it was a great evening and sessions that we had with Sally because she didn't come with an agenda other than focal ministry is here. 
what you're going to do about it almost. Um, you've, you've got certain things that you say around, you know, why we've got here and so on, like you've already shared. But also it was the right people in the right place to do the right thing almost, that each focal ministry team is going to be different depending on the circumstances that it finds itself. I think that's been one of the things that churches have found difficult. I know um, churches that I've been involved with are saying, we want, we, or they almost want to be told what focal ministry is like. But you were very good at saying, I'm not coming here to tell you, it's an expression of who you are as to how focal ministry works going on. I hope that's fair. But it, it has found, church, some churches have found it difficult to not know. They want a box which puts a focal minister in. This is the person or people that we're looking for, and this is how it's going to work. And you were very good at not coming with the answers and saying, how are you going to work it for yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think usually it's quite counterproductive. You know, if I was to go into a church and say, right, this is what you're going to do, um, they would, I hope, say, oh, no, we're not. You know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want that kind of um, response. Um, I mean, genuinely, all, all I do, it's not, it's not rocket science at all. It's not difficult. All I do is go into a place and say, well, who's God bought, bought around the table? What, what are your gifts and experience? Um, what's that thing that God's been saying to you, either recently or for your entire life? Um, okay, so now might be the time to explore um, bringing that to fruition um, and then where are we you know what are, what are the people like what's the soil like what's the story of the church um, what's the next chapter and how are we going to bring that together yeah it's not rocket science but it takes a particular sort of person to be able to do that without an agenda because you know the history of the church as you've said right from the very first starts of steps of faith is this is what you do and this is how you do it so I think it's almost like God's brought you to this point with all of that questioning and, and interest in other things that you found to allow you to be confident enough to go into that room and say, what's God going to do here? So I'm, I'm bigging you up. You're looking at, you're, you're, uh, you're not so sure about that. But I, I, I recognize that, I think, that it was just a real experience that you've got of allowing people to express themselves. Yeah, I guess I guess um, I have got a bit of confidence that I I've, I've done a lot of studying, so I know I know what I don't know, <laughs> um, probably as much as um, knowing a bit of you know enough about stuff. But I think I think it's um, it's probably because I want to find out more about what God is up to. So I don't want to go in with my ego and my kind of agenda um, and say, you know, this is what you this is what you should be doing. I genuinely want to find out what, what God's up to and try as best I can to kind of release and encourage that. Sally, it's been fantastic to not only hear your sort of origin story of coming to faith, but also, you know, your current role in encouraging focal ministers, that sort of thing. I think before we finish, we'd like to come to a sort of more lighthearted segment on a sort of quick fire questions. Um, I won't pinch Paul's question. You always ask a good first question. So if you want to jump yeah, in. Uh, yeah. Um, bedside table. What book are you reading at the moment? Oh, right. Well, I'm reading quite a few. I mean, more than one. Yeah. Yeah. I've always got at least a dozen books on the go. You surprise me. <laughs> I think we might have guessed there'd be a few. <laughs> so I'm in the process. I'm in the process of writing a book called "The Problem with Perfection," um, and so I'm reading around that at the moment. Um, I've also got a cookbook that I'm looking at because I'm kind of 
trying to remember, teach myself how to bake again um, and some gardening stuff because I've, I've inherited um, quite a wild garden, which I love, but I don't really know what's going on in it. So I've got a gardening book as well. And then I tend to reread novels so I'm a, I'm a, I love crime novels not that not the nasty ones with with the proper violence in but you know kind of midsummer murder type ones um, so I so as a kind of real bedtime story I kind of read one one or two of those and then of course I'm, I've always got a spiritual book on the go at the moment Teresa of Avila is something that I'm re- rereading at the moment any, any streaming services streaming or TV services shows you've been doing at the moment uh, I don't I don't do the streaming stuff um, although I do actually don't I because I do BBC iPlayer that counts that counts doesn't it yeah so what about oh I know what I've been watching and I've been kind of loving and hating it at the same time my son introduced me to the thick of it which I know everybody else has, has seen lots and lots and lots of times. Uh, yeah, uh, I just finished it last night, actually. I just watched the last one last night. Um, I kind of enjoyed that. I feel guilty about it at the same time. Well, <laughs> your third way or your sort of middle ground could be that Peter Capaldi is essentially Malcolm Tucker when he's in Doctor Who, but without the swearing. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Alistair Campbell has some interesting things to say about Malcolm Tucker, doesn't he? So, yes, yeah. Denies that it's about him. <laughs> I suspect a lot of it is about him. Potentially, yeah. Or maybe not, yes. Uh, the common question that tends to go around Church House with our sort of intranet is if you could choose a superpower, what would it be? Do you know what? I'm not sure I'd want a superpower. Um, I think I think I'm kind of scared scared enough of the the stuff that I can influence already, um, and I think I would be very reluctant to pick up something that I could do damage with. So you're not going to be Charles Xavier from the X Men, mind control powers, no teleportation. Is that not tempting? I have absolutely no idea what you're talking about, That's Ben. Okay. I love <laughs> this that. Is the nerdy yes. side coming yeah. back out. Come out of the nerdy <laughs> side, Ben. Come away from the Marvel podcast. <laughs> what about music? Um, what sort of music do you like? Uh, do you know? I'm I'm a bit I'm a bit of a I like silence. Um, so I'm I'm actually an extrovert. If you do the personality type things, um, I'm an ENTJ, which means I'm kind of really out there. But when I close the door at night, I'm I'm I really prefer silence. So I go through phases where I listen to music, and I like some classical music, not not much. I haven't got the background to understand it properly and appreciate it properly. Um, and I occasionally go through phases of listening to classic FM, which <laughs> makes me sound very very sad. Um, your uh, gardening or books and your yeah, cookery. I know, I know. I can't believe I've got this old or so quickly, um, or smooth FM or something like that. But to be quite honest, even when I turn the car, you know, the, the radio in, in the car, it takes about ten minutes for me to think, oh goodness, I'll switch this off. I need some, I need some silence. So not a not a big I music fan. Really? No, my, oh, my wife, my wife will tell you. I have a, even today. My wife's gone away for the day, and I had a, the radio on in the bedroom, uh, a radio on in the lounge, and a radio on in the kitchen. Even they may be different stations. Can't bear silence. Oh well, the mystics would have something to say about. Yeah, that. the mystics have a lot to say about me. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Just quickly as well, Sally. We were with colleagues at Bramall Lane, of course, last year for the uh, semi-final of the Women's Euros, which was a fantastic day, wasn't it? 
was it was brilliant. Yes, I, I, yeah, we, we, we kind of bought tickets, didn't we, well in advance, not knowing what on earth was going to happen. Um, and yes, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that game and lost myself in it. I was, I was one of the mob, cheering, cheering on, really, really excited by it. What struck me from that game, and since then, it's not only encouraged more people to get into the women's game, but I think also just how much more entertaining it was. It was so end-to-end. There were no sort of cynical fouls or play acting or anything. It just, the game just really flowed, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, I think, I think it, it is played differently, isn't it? Because it's not, it's not played with brute force. Not that I'm suggesting that's what happens in the men's game, because I don't know enough about it, really. But, but uh, I think tactics are more important and, and teamwork um, and certainly what I really enjoyed um, being at Bramall Lane was seeing the whole pitch because on telly of course you only you only see you know what, what's happening in the in the in the in the in the shot um, but what I found fascinating was what was happening at the rest of the field um, and what was what was happening to prepare the ground for the next move um, yeah I think we could we could learn learn some stuff about ministry from women's football I reckon. 100%. Ben and, I, ben and I love a terrace, don't we, Ben? We love watching football from a terrace. Indeed, absolutely. Sally, it's so great to speak to you. Um, we were really pleased when you said that you would join us on Words of Grace. And thanks so much for your honesty and the, all the information. I think we might have to do a, a ministry across the diocese special at some point, get a, a round table of people from different thoughts and different backgrounds just to chat through stuff and, and where we're going from here. But it'd be great to speak to you again, but thanks so much for coming. My pleasure. Really appreciate the time. Thank you.